All right, thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Breaking news, the best answer yet to why the president is hiding his taxes. When you see the years and the tears from investors in his gambits and maybe even a potential scam, it is hard to see how our president can brag about his business acumen. We have one of the reporters who broke the story, and we also have one of the oversight hawks in the House who's been fighting for the most recent taxes. Where will Democrats take the battle next? And Senator Mitch McConnell has struck again. The master of disaster when it comes to trying to shut the door on Democrats now says the probe is case closed. Before we even hear from Mueller, Democratic leader Schumer accuses him of aiding and abetting the Russians. We'll debate. It's another big night. What do you say? Let's get after it. All right, so the president has given a new meaning to being a one percenter. His losses accounted for one percent of all losses in the country for one year, according to newly obtained data from The New York Times. That year, 1991. Now, as you see behind me, year after year, the president appears to have lost more money than maybe any other individual taxpayer in America. And as a rub on that, a lot of corporations or C-Corps, they file and pay uh, directly. He was a pass-through organization. It's privately held. So he's in a different bucket, but it's still a ton of losses. These should all be red, a decade in the red. Why are they blue? Deals he bragged about were disasters and a new allegation that the president may have been front-running stocks in curious fashion to make up some of that loss. A very different narrative to us when he was running for election. I built a tremendous business. I filed my papers with the federal election. They couldn't even believe it. There were so many of those guys back there. I built an unbelievable, some of the greatest assets in the world, very little debt, tremendous cash flow, tremendous. Cannot believe what he says. The new figures show over $1 billion in business losses. So bad, our president paid no federal income tax for eight of the 10 years we now know about from 1985 to 1994. Let's bring in one of the reporters who broke the blockbuster story tonight, Russ Butner, and we have David K. Johnston, who himself obtained part of the president's 2005 tax return, an expert in tax law, teaches the same. Both of you, welcome to primetime, gentlemen. Thank you. Mr. Butner, man of the hour, appreciation. Boy, I have to tell you, as a journalist, the scrubbing and cross-referencing you did on arcane data, you know, David Kay knows this very well. Boy, did you do a hell of a job on this. Any kudos that you get is well-deserved. On reporting alone, forget about the impact and the outcome. The reporting is top-notch scrubbing. Good for you. Thanks, so Chris. what do you want people to take from this? Well, I think it kind of forces us to, again, redefine uh, or reimagine what we think of Donald Trump, of President Trump, and the, the sort of assertions he's made as to why his ideas matter, the value of what he built, um, and maybe perhaps his, his integrity in some of these issues as well. Um, you just see that over this period of time, he's trying different things. They're not working. He gets bailed out by this brief flirtation with moving the stock market around a bit. Um, and then he has a big bubble of interest income somewhere that we can't explain either. And then he tries casinos and he tries an airline and none of it really works out. And he builds this colossal record of failure over a decade. Boy, and, you know, there's so much in there. I don't even know where to start, to be honest. 
uh, David. This is so overwhelming in reading it. I read through the piece twice to try to get it. Uh, when you look at it, having seen the 2005 tax return, uh, an excerpt of it, how do the two go together for you? Well, this is entirely consistent with what I've been reporting on Donald for 30 years. It's all a fraud. And uh, Ross Butner and Suzanne Craig, the other reporter on the story, mm. are journalistic totos who have pulled back the curtain and revealed that the wizard is actually a con artist. Uh, I would have gone with no Dorothy, set of or one of the big here. animals. I wouldn't have gone with the dog. All right. I just want you to know. I think you're better than that little dog, but that's okay. People love pets. But David, what do you see? Well, uh, you know, Donald has always claimed that he has these tremendous business deals. What this shows is it's nonsense. It's just made up by Donald. He creates his own reality. And this shows that his claim of being the modern Midas, who everything he touches turns to gold. No, it turns to dross. What he does say that's true is that he has had a lot of cash flow. When he created his only publicly traded company uh, and ran it uh, at least nominally for nine years, the investors were wiped out. The bondholders only collected pennies on the dollar, but Donald got $82 million out of it. That's what he does. He reaches in like a vulture. He sucks something dry and he leaves the vendors unpaid, sometimes the workers unpaid, ruins other people's businesses, and yet is held out in the press as this great business genius. Mm. Now, that's one of the headlines from this, Russ. Again, it's so dense. People are going to have to read it. We'll be processing this for days, probably beyond as more taxes come out. But he claimed a billion dollars in losses. But most of the assets he didn't really own just because it says Trump and has a big price tag on it. The equity and the investors of different types of notes and paper and borrowing was pretty substantial. So he got to declare the losses, even though he didn't own the, the entire underlying asset. That, that's one of the great magical things in the tax code, and David's an expert on this stuff. Um, as a business owner with these pass-through entities, if you design a business that fails, you build, you build too much costs into it, and it can't support those costs, you can use those losses to write off any other types of income you might get, like from selling stocks. You get all the losses. You don't that, have to share the losses the way you share the ownership. That's right. Um, and, and in this case, it's even a little more magical because a lot of these losses are actually other people's money. This is bondholders' money right. and, and banks' money that he just didn't pay back. And then did another sort of magical thing when the, usually the tax man would come and say, if you have cancellation of debt, that's in essence income for you, and you're going to have to now pay income taxes on that money. He came up with another, or his advisors came up with another scheme then to convert some of that um, into equity in ways that were really pushing the boundaries and uh, avoided the tax man at that point as well. Now, I am a puppy compared to you guys. When I was at ABC News, me, Tim O'Brien, uh, who was at the New York Times, now he's at Bloomberg, uh, of course, Chris Vlasto, who is the big senior there in charge of all investigations, and now they have that podcast he does. We did an investigation, David and Russ, of what we could figure out about Trump's empire. And we got into a situation with him because it was all private. This was in 2005 or six, right in there. But it took us like a year. And we got to the point where because it's all private and he wouldn't give us taxes and we could only show different aspects of debt that he had to agree on his net worth. David, he insisted that the Hudson Yards alone, the West Side Yards, put his net worth at five billion dollars at the time. We wound up just getting away from having to report it because we had no way to corroborate it. But is there any chance that he was worth anything near a billion dollars during this period that we know about into the 2000s? 
No. And in fact, one day I asked Donald, what's your net worth? And that day he said three billion. And I looked at him and said, I don't believe you. And he was, what? You know, uh, and I said, Donald, you can't pay your bills. I'm just a reporter. I can pay all my bills as they come due. If you're really worth three billion dollars, you'd find a way to pay your bills. Later that same day, he told another reporter he was worth five billion dollars. He just makes it up, Chris. He just makes it up. Hmm. Now, here's a little bit of food for thought here. And I want to keep getting into the weeds with you guys, into what we've learned. Um, Russ, what do you say to the initial pushback of, because everything's Rorschach these days, right? Everything gets looked at through the partisan lens. Oh, I don't care. He's still got a lot of money. Uh, He's got a lot more money than I'll ever have. You know, he's still uh, a huge business success. I don't care how you guys pick it apart. All those rich guys find a ways to, to use the tax code like he did. What's your take on that? Well, certainly for this era, that just doesn't match. Uh, There's another database that we compared the data we had on him to that showed the extreme outliers of business people set up like him who declared losses. And he was at the outer spectrum of those year after year, uh, either the top number or uh, the second from the from the bottom. Um, Really a poor performance. And that's remarkable. But he's had several sort of phases in this This is one of them, and it all sort of came collapsing down around him. He barely escaped through, and he was still, as as David can attest to, and you too, Chris, he was still really not doing very well when The Apprentice went on the air in 2004, Mm. and then that created a whole new era where suddenly he didn't have to try to build things. He didn't have to try to build businesses that he could support with the cost structure that he put into them. He could just rent the use of his name, and that's an incredibly easy thing to do. And and, uh, that's what we don't know about is how much money that's yielded. The irony that the hype wound up paying off for him in a way that his business acumen never did. What was the name of that guy, David, who gave him that huge break at NBC and gave him that TV show? What was his name again? Ah, yeah. My boss, Jeff Zucker. (laughs) That's that's who who it was. (laughs) Look, let's take a break. This warrants a second block. Uh, If you guys will stay, please. Because Russ, raises and, and his uh, and, and Craig, uh, Susan Craig, his uh, Suzanne Craig, his writing partner on this, his reporting partner. They raise questions about what the president was doing to make up for the losses in the stock game. Now, the president never talks about dealing in stocks. He always shuns that as dirty business, not real business like he was in. And a certain number of income that just doesn't make sense. Both of these could have much deeper implications, just just an attack on his ego. Next. All right, back with the breaking news and one of the people who brought it to us from the New York Times, they've gotten President Trump's tax records for a decade in the 80s up into the 90s. They show a lot of reasons this president doesn't want to show you his taxes from now or then or ever. Times reporter Russ Butner worked with, is it Suzanne Craig, right? Yes. Um, a Pulitzer winner, and investigative journalist David K. Johnston also had some of Trump's 2005 taxes sent to him. He's been reporting on this for many years, vindicated in part by the reporting from The New York Times today. Uh, So, Russ, two things. One, I am not familiar with the president as a stock investor or a front runner of stocks. Um, You put it in the piece. How sure are you of it? And what does it say to you? Well, I don't think it's news to David or to Neil Barsky or to some of the people who covered the President Trump in the 1980s. There was a brief period where he seems to have learned that he could um, just talk about buying a company. Mm-hmm. He would 
buy a, buy a significant investment in a company with a, a loan from a broker at Bear Stearns, um, and then make a public comment or leak a public comment that he might take it over, the stock would rise, and then he would sell. Um, and that lasted a couple of years before investors realized that he never seemed to really be following through. Those trades were documented at the time by casino regulators in New Jersey, uh, who were very concerned about his finances because they were worried all his casinos were going to go under. David, what are you allowed to do and not allowed to do when you front run a stock? Well, there are rather severe rules here about misleading investors. The fundamental rule is that any material fact that would make someone decide to buy, sell, or avoid, or hold a stock has to be disclosed. Uh, but Trump was part of a whole generation of people doing what was called not blackmailing companies, but greenmailing them. And he got two of his casino competitors to buy the stock he had bought with borrowed money back at a premium to make him go away, hence green mail. Mm. And how about just the idea of saying, yeah, I bought this position because I'm going to buy all of it. Uh, I'm going to take it over. Then he sells it on the sneak, makes a profit, doesn't tell anybody that part of the story. Is that okay? Is that just about bad ethics and not uh, illegality? Well, it, it is a criminal violation of the law, but you have to have enforcement. And we make very little effort in this country to enforce those laws on a criminal level. Even there, he wound up getting bitten in the behind, though, right, Russ? Didn't he, didn't he wind up holding something a little bit too long or the market caught up with him and he took a loss? He did. He, he, ultimately, that, that sort of ran its course. By the time he invested in, I think it was American Airlines, towards the end of that cycle in 1989 or 1990, the market was sort of on to the fact that he was never really following through with this. And the stock went up initially, and then it went back down. He didn't sell in time. Uh, he lost, I think, $34 million on that. Um, and his father, actually, who had started following in, him into some of these trades, as we documented in October, also lost a little bit of money on that as well. Mm -hmm. And then there was no point anymore. The, the game was sort of over. And the income that you cite in that one year, you're puzzled buy it. It's interest income. Why? Why is it so vexing for you, that one number? Well, it's, it's really striking. It's $52 million. Even at the junk bond rates at the time, you would have to have about $375 million invested to get that kind of return in one year. And the Casino Commission, as I mentioned before, and other auditors were quite up in Donald Trump's affairs at that point in time. And, and during that era, they said he had, depending on the month, between $2 million and $100 million total in liquid investments in cash that he could use at any point in time. Well, you can't get $50 million in interest, even from $100 million in one year. So it really is just a striking mystery. Mm. And where does that go for you? Where does it go for me? I don't know. I mean, I've, I've talked to uh, former sort of auditors and investigators. Could it have said, anything to do with his dad? I mean, I know in that earlier reporting that the New York Times broke that the idea of a self-made man that the president sold is really just that he made that story up by himself, but it was his, pres his father's money that was not just starting him, but boosting him along uh, his falls from grace from time to time. Is there anything there? Well, you're thinking just like we were, Chris. The first thing we did was check the banking records and the general ledgers that we have uh, from his father's businesses during those very years. And there was no sign of it. There was money changing hands that we documented in our October story. But this doesn't show up anywhere in there at all. Look, this is going to be digested for days. Russ, let me put in uh, my, uh, my, my ask early. I'm going to need you to come back. As we start getting through this, we need to understand it in context. Please come back. But congratulations to you. You know, in this business, the assumption is you'll be jealous that somebody else did it. Not me. I'm proud. Failing New York Times, 
Read this piece today. I, you can't have journalism that's done better than this. And I don't care who it's about. I don't care what it's about. Just look at the methodology that they take you through in the piece. It's why people get into journalism. Russ, thank you very much. David Kay, you are always value added. Thank you very much. Thank For you. days, people are going to be processing this story. For days. Take a look. I'm not saying it's the end of the presidency. Don't be so fatalistic and so extreme about everything. It's just... What this president has said about who he is, you now have a way to look at it and see what's true and what isn't. Now, coming up, we have a key Democrat on the powerful Ways and Means Committee. They're looking for the taxes in recent history. What does this reporting mean to him? What does this situation mean in terms of what the Democrats need to do? Also, another situation that must be exposed. Senator Mitch McConnell declares the Russia probe closed today. This is the latest in a string of efforts to stifle democracy. We're going to show you what he's done before and what he's trying to do now. The height of hypocrisy must be exposed. Let's do it next. This New York Times reporting about Trump's taxes from the 80s and 90s, it's huge. But we can't lose sight of other things that have happened right under our nose that really matter. For example, we now have the final indication that it is all hands on deck to clear this president from any wrongdoing. Listen to this. The special counsel's finding is clear. Case closed. Case closed. Must be nice if you say it twice. Senator Mitch McConnell with a signature naked play for advantage. He knows by definition Mueller didn't close the case on obstruction, and he didn't even mention it. He would certainly say differently, Mr. Mueller, and certainly Mr. McConnell, if you switch the R to a D next to this president's name. If you did that... Then Senator McConnell would say things like this. The single most important thing we want to achieve is for President Obama to be a one-term president. You remember that? All-out opposition. Some have said it was indelicate of me to suggest that our top political priority over the next two years should be to deny President Obama a second term. Naked play of advantage. The same man who now laments our paralyzing partisanship and wants us to move on. The same one who refused a vote on a SCOTUS nominee and was proud of it. Vowed to punish Democrats for using the nuclear option. Remember? You'll regret this and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. And you know what? They were wrong. And he was right, and he's kept that vow by making the job of naming judges more contentious than ever. Yet, he sees no problem indignantly calling on Democrats to be quiet and get back to work. There are serious issues the American people need us to tackle. There's more progress for middle-class families we need to deliver. And do something. Senator McConnell spoke for more than 17 minutes on this. We all watched it. He never once mentioned the 10 credible episodes of potential obstruction of justice contained in the Mueller report. Case closed? In other words, he ignored the entire second volume of the report, instead offering a version of events where Democrats are playing into the, Putin, the hands of Putin. Absolutely zero shame in his game. Know that. Ignoring the monumental embarrassment of what this president said in Helsinki. I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Remember the White House then say, oh, no, he said wouldn't, please. And actually admitting laughing, our president did, with 
the foreign foe about the probe into Putin's diabolical deeds just this past week. We discussed it. He actually uh, sort of smiled. McConnell ignores it all. And of course, Mr. Putin smiles. His adversary not only wilts from confrontation, he denies Russia's interference as much as Putin does. But keep in mind, POTUS isn't the only big-time GOPer to ignore interference. Listen to this. There's been little interest in the steps this administration has taken to make Russia pay for its interference, and this administration has taken the problem head-on. Really? Not only has the administration blocked bipartisan efforts in the Senate to guard our elections, but this idea is especially ironic, very rich, coming from this man in particular. Why? Well, for all that the president says about then-President Obama not acting fast enough on interference back in 2016, fair criticism, by the way, but what he leaves out is that one reason the administration dragged its feet was Senator Mitch McConnell. When President Obama went to him to have the move be from both sides so it wouldn't look partisan, he refused action. And just like with so much, we now have to wonder, why did he do that back then? All right, so the question now is, Will Democrats get what they want in their fight for the truth? A congressman not only taking on Republicans, he's taking on his own party to step it up. What's his plan? What do you think matters? What should matter to you? Next. This new reporting from The New York Times is at least one indication why the president is a hard no on handing over any of his recent taxes. He does not like the story it is going to tell. At the same time, House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal has a job to do and is meeting with counsel to weigh the next steps in this fight to do oversight, which includes the taxes. A member of this committee wants to get tough with the president. He is Democrat Lloyd Dodgett, here to make his case. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Chris. First, the New York Times, what's your takeaway? It's shocking. You know, the president's demonstrated that he's a loser, and not just any loser, he's the biggest loser as far as individual taxpayers in that period of anybody in America, knocking out the competition in some years almost two to one. Uh, It does raise another question as well. How does someone who is such a big loser eventually get bailed out by a foreign bank? What other kind of money from abroad was floating in to keep Mm. him afloat? Uh, So there are many questions out there. These were older tax returns. It certainly demonstrates another reason why we need the more recent returns. Well, obviously, in the 2000s, he got the gift of that reality show. And in fairness to him, he wound up uh, doing it the right way, became a big hit, and he got tons of cash flow, uh, which I'm sure helped him. And at some point, we're going to know that story, especially if you guys do your job and win in court. Indeed. Now, why do you think you'll win in court? The, The fight is pretty simple. The statute is very clear, but it's never been used this way, so it's untested. They'll say... It's not real oversight. This is a political attack. You have no reason to get the taxes. You could just call the IRS and say, did you audit the guy or not? You don't need the taxes. Well, we do need to know how this audit function operated. We have the history of President Richard Nixon, who was actually Mm -hmm. praised by the Internal Revenue Service publicly. But when we really got into a chance, our predecessors on the committee at that time, to look at his returns, it turned out he owed a significant amount of money in unpaid taxes. This statute, as you know, almost 100 years old, could not be clearer. Shall means shall, and you don't need a 
a law firm, a, a stack of lawyers, uh, including his new personal attorney, Bob Barr, to advise about these things. The statute is clear. I think that Chairman Neal can either seek to enforce the statute without a subpoena, use a subpoena, or we have the possibility of holding the secretary or the IRS commissioner in contempt. Now, you are one of the few Democrats who's not just saying, hey, it's wrong for the Republicans or the White House to stymie our oversight. You're on the Democrats as well. You believe they're playing too passive. What do you want to see? Well, I think that we're informed now by the president's new policy of obstruction today, obstruction yesterday, obstruction forever. Uh, he uh, doesn't want anyone to talk. He doesn't want any documents produced. He creates a void with secrecy that he fills with more and more lies. Uh, and so what I want is for us to recognize that we're under new conditions. This is not a time for timidity. We need to be forceful. We need to use every tool. He seems to be almost begging for impeachment. I don't think it's time to go there at this point, but I do think mm. it's important to use all of our powers, one of which is the inherent power of contempt. All right. Oh, yeah. Inherent contempt, which is what? What it means and recognized by the United States Supreme Court in the 19th century is that the Congress can, on its own part, uh, issue a, a subpoena, and enforce that subpoena through arrest or through fines. And I think we need to be prepared to do both. You don't want to uh, throw the AG in cuffs, though, right? I mean, you know well, that that would cause rancor and division that we certainly would have a hard time bearing in this current climate. All I want is for the attorney general to realize he has a responsibility to the public, not just as a personal attorney of Mr. Trump, and to comply with the law. So if we have a lawless attorney general or a lawless secretary of the Treasury, or some other official, it is our responsibility as a co-equal branch of government to hold them accountable. Now, I, hear I, I don't you, want to throw him in jail, but I'm ready to do so. I hear you on that, Congressman. You know, look, I'm of two minds on this. I, I, I've changed uh, what I've been arguing in the closing argument about this. Originally, I was like, I just don't see the percentage for you guys. I don't see where it gets you as Democrats. Um, but I now understand that there's a difference between overreach and oversight. But this is a question that many are concerned about in this country. Look at these poll numbers um, uh, that we have here about how people feel on this. Uh, the idea of how much is too much. 44% already says that you're pushing too much on investigating the president. Right amount versus too little, you know, it gets you to 53%. So you're 53-44 if you want to look at it that way. I guess you could even argue I laid those stats out a little deceptively to weight them against you. <laughs> but putting, putting oh, I, that aside, are you worried so. that it's going to be too much? I think this is part of President Trump's overall strategy. By denying, by building a huge stone wall, by denying anything, mm. any reaching out we do to get the truth is viewed as an overreach and is promoted by him as an overreach. Well, that's what Pelosi said, right? Pelosi yeah. said today that he be she believes that the president is goading, G-O-A-D-I-N-G, pushing you guys, taunting you to impeach him. Do you believe that? Uh, I think he is. We see impeachment mentioned by all of his supporters, his enablers here in Congress, as well as by him. That doesn't mean we shouldn't consider doing that if there are no other alternatives. But I think this inherent power of contempt, which would involve uh, perhaps our contracting with the jail, perhaps adding some security personnel to do an arrest, not because we want to arrest or to jail someone, but because we realize we have to show we're serious about this. 
We're not just going to go on through the courts and let them run out the clock. Chris, you know, uh, as a lawyer yourself, uh, I served for a time as a Texas Supreme Court justice. Yes, sir. I'm that aware. The appellate, the appellate process can go on and on and on with hearings and briefing schedules and rehearings. We can't let this administration run out the, the clock on the truth. The American people need to know that. And also, from my background as a judge, I'm very concerned not just about this president, but about precedent, the precedent we are saying for another power-hungry president who would reach out and grab for more. President Trump, when he makes these outrageous maneuvers, when he offers his bigoted statements, and Republicans are silent and Democrats are timid, he's encouraged to grab for a little more. And I'm concerned about the erosion of our democracy by his conduct. Well, look, it is interesting. I mean, you know, that you see the timidity of your own side as a factor in this. It'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustment there is. Let me ask you about a little look into our potential future. Investigating the investigators. We both know that IG reports, uh, Inspector General reports, rarely come back showing nothing of any suspicion on what they've been looking at. There may be no referral, certainly for criminal prosecution or follow-up, but the idea that they'll have nothing to work on about the surveillance process that took place during that 2016. I think you'd agree with me, uh, Congressman, certainly uh, understanding the process as a former judge on the state level. There's a good chance they'll have something. Now, Christopher Wray today, do we have sound of it, Mel? All right. So Christopher Wray today said in the Senate hearing, um, he has no proof that there was spying done um, in response, I believe, to Gene Shaheen. Uh, what does that mean to you in terms of what we need to look at going forward. Well, it means that uh, Bob Barr used the term spying because it's a loaded term for what appeared to be uh, a court-approved investigation that was underway and did not involve spying in the uh, Do you believe it was sense. only based on the dossier, information that was bought by Clinton from the Russians? Fruit of the well, poisonous tree. I'm, I'm, no, I don't, but I uh, believe that we should see the inspector general's report before making a final decision, uh, and I don't think there's justification for launching a big, new, distracting investigation mm. when we have the facts right now and the president trying to stop Bob Mueller from coming here to explain them. Do you think uh, he can I, do that? Uh, I, well, I think he can. I don't think he'll be a partisan in any way. I think that everything the Judiciary Committee or the Intelligence Committee does with him needs to be centered on the law and his responsibilities. Understood. But do you think the president will block him? As long as he's working for the DOJ, he's working for Bill Barr, Bill Barr could say no. Well, he could, and he would be reversing himself as he has reversed himself and as the president does he said he had on no a objection. basis. But what if the he president has an objection? And he then well, says, well, the president doesn't want him to do it, so he's not going to do it. Yes, and uh, that's entirely possible. But, of course, uh, I don't think that Mr. Mueller will be forever a Justice Department employee. And I would hope when he completes his responsibilities, which should be soon, that if he's blocked by the president and his uh, hand-picked lawyer, Mr. Barr, that Mr. Mueller will then be able to testify before our, our committees. Congressman, thank you thank so you. much for weighing in on these matters of great importance in a time-sensitive way. Thank you very thank you, much. Chris. Lloyd Doggett, Texas, Democrat. Thank you, sir. All right. The world is warming. You know, that's what science tells you. The scientists look at what's happening in the Arctic. They see a flashing red light. The Trump administration, they see green. Less ice, more money. You got to hear it to believe it. Next. Look, there really is no point in debating the science 
We know the science. The warnings are clear from scientists. There are dire consequences because of human-caused climate change. Now, on Monday, our Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, seemed to highlight the upside of this tremendous downside. In sea ice are opening new passageways and new opportunities for trade. Arctic sea lanes could come before the could come the 21st century Suez and Panama canals. Now, look, the good news is he seemed like he was reading those words. Maybe he didn't write them. Maybe this is just some administration message that's being put out and we shouldn't tarnish Mike Pompeo. But yes, he did say them. Here's the reality. The Arctic is melting. We know that the secretary of state apparently knows it, too. But not once in that address before the Arctic Council did he use the words climate change. Why stay mum on what is obvious, especially when you've acknowledged it before, albeit reluctantly? Listen. I also uh, believe that the climate is changing, that there's a warming taking place. I'm happy to concede uh, that there uh, is likely a human component to that. Concede? Let's bring in D. Lemon. Why do you have to concede? It's like conceding that two plus two is four. Why you got to concede? Well, it makes a whole point of what we have been discussing. The breaking news in the, the uh, New York Times is that this administration and people in the administration and folks, some people will do anything to create a narrative about what they want. They think it's fake. And what are they? They say it's fake because it doesn't behoove them, because they want to make excuses for things, ultimately because they want to be in power and they want to prove themselves right, even though it's not. I can't, let me just give you the facts. And this, this is just the world scientists. You gave some of them. But here's, what, here's what's concerning to me. Climate change and pollution are the main drivers of species loss and are threatening more than 40% of amphibians, Chris. Yeah. 33% of the coral reefs and over a third of marine mammals with extinction. And again, that is according to, to a report Monday by major scientists throughout the world. It comes just a couple, like, just what, a few months after uh, the UN did a, 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 very, a, a similar report that showed similar results. So I went to Catholic school they taught me about religion. They taught me about, you know, beliefs and conspiracy theories. But they also taught me logic and science and mathematics. And you have to weigh the two. And they taught me to believe in those things, science above all else. That's how we got here. Absolutely. You know what I believe in? The Lorax. <laughs> Did you ever read that book, the Seuss book, The Lorax? Yes, the Lorax. Where they start taking all the trees and they start back. making thneeds, yeah. T-H-N-E-E-D-S. Yeah. And what happens when they're all gone? It's a dark and dismal place until they find one and they have to regenerate. You don't want to go that way. And that's the thing. The temperature gets hotter. The ice melts. They see opportunity. But the melting ice creates more warm temperatures, more melting. It's cyclical. And something has to be done to stop it. And you know what? You can find opportunity in that, too. There's opportunity in the changes that are necessary. That's the tragedy of hearing this backward thinking from someone who we really know is intelligent. I don't know why the Secretary of State's on oh, that come message, on. but he's you, a smart you know man. Why. Well, you were reading uh, the Lorax. I was reading Shel Silverstein, where the, the sidewalk giving tree? ends. <laughs> the giving tree and where the sidewalk ends. I am the um, tree in our relationship, by the way. I want you to know that. <laughs> I was also reading, what, Moby Dick? What else? A lot of stuff. But The Great White Whale. There you go. Hopefully we'll... Get something like that together when we're on the boat this summer. Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> well, we'll see. Hopefully we don't get eaten by a whale. But listen, um, remember all the consternation about well, a couple of years ago happening around shooting, uh, shootings and killings of unarmed black 
sure. uh, folks in this country. It's still going on, but there was more talk about it. This president wasn't in an office. The news wasn't consumed mm-hmm. by politics. Well, Sandra Bland, remember yes. her? She died in that jail new cell evidence. in Waller County in Texas. There's new evidence. There's new cell phone video from her perspective. Shows a different perspective on what happens, and we're going to break that down coming up. Very and then important. we're going to talk about the taxes as well. Don't forget that. Of course you will. You look like an accountant tonight. I like the glasses. Well, I am. A little bit. Look at that guy. Would you have him do your taxes? No way. (laughs) Unless you're Trump. (laughs) All right. A big night of breaking news. The president's taxes in sharp focus. Now, I have an argument to make that maybe the president will see this reporting from New York Times as an opportunity. Next. Now, I am not one to offer advice, let alone to the most powerful man in the world. But if your name were Donald John Trump, Now would be the time to release your taxes, like right now. The argument? Well, practically, New York is about to vote on releasing your state tax returns, which are an echo of the federal ones, as we all know. And as you can imagine, your salty words and salt tax burden on blue states like New York not made you wildly popular. And the fight with Congress does not bode well for you in the courts. And even if you get over that hurdle, turns out 25 states are working on laws requiring presidential candidates on the ballot in their states to show tax returns. And I haven't heard of an under-alleged audit exception yet, so that's not promising either. That's the practical. Politically, you always want to control the narrative as much as you can, and that's only possible here if you empower the release of your taxes. The New York Times story raises legit questions about stock manipulation, lies about your income, lies about your wealth, curious income reporting on interest. None of that is good for your brand or your credibility. Some of it would have been softened if you were explaining what people would find. Now, I get the reason you don't want to release the taxes. It's because you know what they do and do not show and you don't like the story. I get it. I get it better than most, actually, for two reasons. First, I investigated your net worth with a team, a talented team at ABC News. Remember back in 2005? Remember you on the phone with Chris Vlasto? Remember you kept yelling at us? the investigative guru over there. You insisted you were worth billions, but you wouldn't give us any real proof, and we could only find proof of that much in debt. Remember the letter that was from your lawyer, but sounded a lot like you, damning me back to the womb for getting your worth wrong? It was right then, and even more right now. The second reason is you and I share more common history. We were both given huge breaks by Jeff Zucker, chairman of Warner Media News and Sports and president of CNN Worldwide. Looking at the reporting of your taxes from the 80s and 90s and the snapshots we got in the early 2000s, my guess is Zucker giving you that reality show in 2004, that changed your reality. You went from being in the 1% of all losses reported for U.S. individual taxpayers to a TV star who was depicted as the ultimate top one percenter. Now, look, I'm sure you don't like this narrative, but the only way to change it is to show your returns. At a minimum, the truth will come out on your own terms. And there's something to respect in that. At the end of the day, isn't that why you always inflated your assets? To get what you saw as respect, right? But if you man up and say this has gone too far and it's not fair, here's the information, here are the taxes, and along with it, push for a law that makes it a federal requirement for all to show taxes in a run for the White House, and then a raft of tax fixes to plug some of the gaping holes in the code that you exploited in grotesque 
fashion. Now that would take up some headlines and get you at least a pinch of respect for some of those that are now looking on and seeing someone who is clearly not who you told us you were. All right, that's my argument for tonight. Thank you for watching. We have big breaking news. Let's get to CNN tonight with D. Lemon right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.